0: We are uh, back in many ways, and I, uh, I went down a rabbit hole at the 9.30 hour, probably a good idea to do it again uh, here. Uh, for those of you who uh, are our guests or have just started uh, coming, we, as you can tell, are crazy about kids. Uh, there is, for us, no problem with screaming kids, running kids, laughing kids. That's part of the gift that God offers us. I say that because those of you who are newer may not realize that so that they're not removed and, and don't disturb, we have three different places here on the main floor and upstairs where you can participate and watch in the service and the kids can be put inside of a sound soundproof, soundproof booth where they will never be heard from again. So <laughs> just, just something to, to keep in mind. School's uh, School's back. In the, literally, in the 1930s, I said, School's back. This woman over here, praise Jesus. <laughs> 65 to 70 million people from pre-K through postdoctoral work are enrolled and back in classes of different times. School's back. Summer's over. That means football is back. That's a great thing. If you're a Notre Dame fan, thank you, Jesus. But it also... It also may be bad news for the Vikings. It's hard to tell. All I know is that today, today, about 1.3 million people will fill stadiums all around the country, and over 106 million people, 106 million people will watch those games. Football is huge. Schools back, and football is back, and in some ways, church is back in session as well. The pollster Gallup says there are between 60 million and 120 million of us in this country in uh, these churches today. 60 million, 120 million is a pretty big spread. Gallup says it's because people lie about whether they go to church or not. <laughs> oh yeah, I go, I go three times a month here. <coughs> and, uh, and yet, there are over 350,000 different churches, all kinds of churches people are going back to. When we tend to think of church, we we tend to think of the great cathedrals, where worship there is filled with uh, incense and great liturgy and and music. But, But many more people in this world are going to what are called house churches today. These are in China, but there are some on the north side of Minneapolis. Here in China, they're looking out the door to make sure the police haven't discovered them. Many people, more and more, are going to what are called contemporary or hipster uh, gatherings for worship. But most people in the country today will be going to churches like this. Little country places where between 10 and 70 people will gather as they have generation after generation. The biggest growth In the world of places where people go and celebrate King Jesus are what are called charismatic assemblies. All over the world. People for hours raising their hands and speaking in tongues and singing praises all over the world. But then there are the Presbyterians. (laughs) Presbyterians worship in a very different way. You may even recognize some of the faces we're back. What we wanted to do here at the start of the autumn is to make clear in our CPC Life magazine and here in worship that we're back, but we do not come to church. We come to be the church. We don't just come to church. We come to be the church. Every year I am here, I believe more firmly that the local church is the hope of planet Earth. That the local gathering of little sinners saved by grace and sent out to bless this planet is the world's great hope. And I also believe that worship, that is the gathering of the church, is at the center of everything else. It's the only unique thing. I mean... The Lions Club has fellowship, and Rotary Club has mission projects. The only unique thing that we do is to gather for worship. You, you, cannot, uh, you cannot be the church without coming to church, but you can come to church without being the church. And so as, as we start up again, as you think of coming back to yet another year here in church, or if it's your first season of worship with us, we want to ask you, is, is it happening for you? Are you meeting or do you anticipate meeting that invisible God and saying things to God that you will say to no one else and leaving here a slightly different person? Since the beginning of this follow Jesus movement, since the very beginning, that's the way it's been. Followers of Jesus would be out there in the world and they would talk to others and, about Jesus and they would live in ways that were different and people would literally come to Christ. And they would feel like they have a new way to live. They, they are set free from their old selves and they want to discover what it's like to follow Jesus day in and day out. And they say, how, how do I learn more? And the person says, well, come with me to church. And that's where it all starts to go wrong because when they go to church, they don't find the saints. They find you. They find me. They find broken people just like them who gather together and talk about God. And the problem is that if it's just talk, that's when people who want to know Jesus start to get in trouble. It's been that way from the very beginning. The Apostle Paul is part of this movement where the church gets scattered by persecution and he goes to Greece and he starts to talk to people about who Jesus was and who Jesus is and how they can know new life. And people responded in this city called Corinth. They loved it. And so they said, yes, yes, tell us more. We want to follow Jesus. And they started to follow Jesus. And after a couple of weeks, he left and went someplace else. And they continued on the first day of the week to gather there and talk about Jesus and the scriptures and what they could do next. And, and it started out just great. And over time, they got in trouble. So the Apostle Paul wrote them a series of letters about how they could get their act together. When they gathered and when they lived apart. They're called the Corinthian letters. And in one of them, he talks about the gatherings, the, the church services. And he starts out this way in chapter 7. In this area, I have no praise for you, for your gatherings do more harm than good. In other words, and this is the pastor, in other words, it would be better if you skip church than going to do that. In the first place, Paul said, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Well, no, no doubt, there have to be differences to show which ones of you have God's approval. So when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for one remains hungry and another one gets drunk. In those days, they were all house churches. They all met in somebody's house, and because as the movement grew, the larger houses tended to be the places where the richer people were, what would happen is they would gather for a meal But over time, the wealthy Corinthian people started to say to everybody, yeah, let's gather for church at 12. But they said to their friends, let's get together at noon. And they would have a nice meal. And when people come at 2, there are literally just the crumbs left for them. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? And they felt humiliated. Certainly I'll not praise you for this. In Corinth, worship had, been, worship had become what they could get out of it. Instead of seeking God together, each person was for themselves. Before you start to think, oh, those sick Corinthians, I wonder how much of the I am not getting anything out of this, I ought to go to a different church, infects us too. Our worship wars, they fought about worship. Our, our worship wars sometimes are about music. What is regular worship music? Half of you don't know what that big instrument is. And at the 930 service, we have to hide the drums behind a screen. Because people worship so differently. Sometimes it's about how to dress, how often we have communion. Whether we go to BSF or CBS or on mission trips... The result is division instead of togetherness. Tension instead of joy in the church. And Paul goes on. He writes after chapter 7, he writes that famous section in his letter to the Corinthians about love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. That 1 Corinthians 13. And then he goes back to worship in chapter 14. says, so if the whole church comes together... And everyone speaks in tongues that are unintelligible to others or to themselves, and inquirers or unbelievers come into your gathering, won't they say, you're out of your minds? Back then, the whole church was charismatic. The Holy Spirit was working in ways so that some people in almost every community were given the ability to speak in foreign languages. Or maybe languages were always spoken in heaven. Or in tongues they didn't understand and somebody else could interpret them. But here, the church focused not around the interpreting, but around just making music. Just making noise. Don't you think, though, we're Presbyterians. We, we never let the Holy Spirit through the door. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't you think, though, that a lot of our friends, as they are at home right now getting ready for the game as they're finished mowing the lawn and pulling out the papers and having that third cup of coffee, that they think about you and they go, those people are crazy. That's just superstition. They're they're just going there, wasting their time. Because when they look at the church, they may not see a bunch of people speaking in tongues, but it's often a service filled with liturgy, in ways that nobody else speaks. Or music that sounds like a funeral dirge or is totally different than what they hear anywhere else in their week. Or our joke about money in the children's sermon is not a joke for them. They think the church is just a place where they're always asking you for money. Or prayers that drone on and on and on and on where we talk about God in bizarre, stilted fashion. Are those people crazy? Paul finishes this way. He says, But if an unbeliever or a seeker comes in while people are speaking out God's truth plainly, they'll be convicted of sin. And as the secrets of their heart are laid bare, they'll fall down and they'll worship God, exclaiming, God really is here among you. It could be different. But the Corinthian church has had so many problems with the way they gather for worship that Paul says, better not to go. The worship is turned into war because it's about me and my preferences and not about God and finding and worshiping the living God and loving other people. Worship has become a problem because they are focused on worship just for us. You all know The words to most of the songs, your friends do not. And when they come in and they don't know anything and they feel stupid, do they feel like it's crazy to be here? It's not for those outside, for people seeking life. But the real reason that worship falls apart, the church in Corinth and could in the church of Edina, is because worship is not dealing with real life. They're gathering together, they're talking about Jesus, they're maybe opening the Bible. But in their midst, there is blatant sexual infidelity that they're semi-proud of. Look how hip we are. The Corinthians are fighting over who the real leaders are and refusing to go when the other person is preaching. The Corinthians have not learned to love each other, they're actually engaged in lawsuits. So everybody that looks at these followers of Jesus in Corinth is going, Why would I want to join that? Why would I want to be like them? And they see the Corinthian church as irrelevant. Does it sound any more similar now? The Apostle Paul tries to give them some correctives, some ways to get back to their first experience, their first love for Jesus. But he does so by telling them in metaphors that they will better understand. He, he uses metaphors like the body or, uh, or like growing seeds. For me, the best metaphor for the church is that God created the church to be a locker room. I, it, probably it's because I'm a jock, a recovering athlete. But I, I, all of you, whether you have been in settings like this or... Uh, women's tennis tournaments or volleyball or whatever, you've at least seen them on TV, right? Everybody knows what's supposed to happen in a locker room. I'd suggest that God gives the church to be the locker room. And the locker room is where you go halfway through the game. You go there at the break before you go out and finish the game. Not everybody goes in the locker room, only the people who want to be in the, play, who want to be in the game. And uh, locker rooms are all different, but they almost all begin the same way. You shuffle in, whether you're ahead or behind in the game, and everybody's pretty quiet for the first two, three, four, five minutes because they're resting up. They're panting, or they are at their eyes closed, praying that nobody will see them, or they're just leaning back, thinking about what's just happened. They're, it's quiet, and they have a chance to sit back and catch their breath. I I sort of think that's one of the reasons that people should come to church. I went to a leadership conference this last month and uh, one of the best interviews uh, was with Jeffrey Immelt. Many of you know Immelt is the CEO of General Electric, hundreds of thousands of employees, hundreds of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, and this guy is responsible for it all routinely works 80-hour weeks and loves it. He lives for General Electric. And they go through this interview, which was fascinating, about how to be a better leader. And at the very end, the interviewer says, not, you know, I know that uh, you're not a regular church-going guy. I mean, you're a member of a church. But yeah, your wife is the one who is usually in church on Sundays, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, goes, but, but he said, The interview said, but Jeff, let's just say that you wanted to go to church next week. What would you want to make sure that the people who are leading that church service made happen? And Immelt leans back. Remember this? It was great. Immelt leans back and he says, well, I'd, I'd want it to be a place where I could be quiet. I have to run everything else. I have to make sure everything is right. I'd like to go to one place where I could just relax and be myself and look back at my week. And look ahead a little bit, but just have a sense that it was a safe place. And I thought, genius. That's what you need. Sometimes you're running so fast you don't know it, but that's what you need. That's what we pray God will have our locker rooms start with. Then, uh, when you look at the locker room, you'll see that some people come in from the game and they're pretty dinged up sprained ankles or twisted knees or scrapes or cuts and and one of the things that happens in the locker room is that people who have been dinged up go over to the trainer for healing i think the locker room ought to be a place where in a very tough game of life those of us those of you who are hurt have the chance to be healed not by us but by our comfort and the God who heals. I gotta tell you, every week when I come through these doors, I see so many of you that I know have a terrible season of life and they are sitting right near you. They are just clinging to life. They are clinging to faith because it's tough out there. They're clinging to faith and they're going, oh my God, get me out of this. Oh my God, I swear, if you get me out of this, I'll go to church every week. I'll give 10% of my money, like like Burt Reynolds in that old movie. I'll give 10% after taxes. I'll give 10% before taxes. <coughs> God, I swear if you get me out of this, if you don't get me out of this, I'm just going to swear. We need to have the church be a place where people can feel free to come in and not have to hide how the week has been and whether they are feeling like they have faith or not, where we will together offer faith that comforts and heals. I think the locker room that the Apostle Paul is talking about that he wants those followers of Jesus to come into has to be a place where encouraging stories are told. Every time in the locker room, the coach sometimes has to work really hard, but the coach will almost always find something that's working, something that's going good, and we're going to do that and do that and do that until they stop us. We have done this well. We have found something that works a little bit. And he encourages people with stories not of a work well done, but work well begun. That's what we were trying to show in the video. That there are people that are learning how to pray in the midst of a crazy life. Not people that look like me. I get paid to be good. You people are good for nothing. but people who have real lives just like yours. And you encourage each other when you tell your stories. When you say, you know, I am not the mom I should be, but this mom's morning small group has helped me so that I don't lose my temper as much. That is progress. Another guy will be going, I used to think that I would be able to start giving when I got my next raise. That was three raises ago. The only way I'm going to start to be generous is if I start to be generous, right? When we encourage each other by telling these stories, God brings them to life at just the right time out there. For me, the highlight of that video, I love the whole video, but the highlight of the video was Rachel, right? 94 years young Rachel. Legally blind Rachel who is there watering her plants and saying... The glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't ever want to have to grow up, but if I do, I want to be like that. Is church a place where you can hear stories of people who stumble and fall and get up and God uses them? I think for many, what we think of most in the locker room is the coach scrawling on the chalkboard and doing diagrams and saying, Now, when they do this, don't do that, do this. And he instructs and he corrects and he shows how to take the mistakes that you made and do better next time. I think that's a primary role of the church. Because I am not the follower of Jesus that I want to be. And I know that you would like to do better in the next half of the game of life. So when we come here, it is not to hear Jody talk to you about how smart you could be or rich give a great talk about this it's for us together to listen to see if God has something that God wants to say to you because you're sitting in a different place than she is and we believe that when God's people gather there is instruction from God about how to do better when you're getting your rear end kicked in the in the battle of life for some of you who are newer it's a lot about teaching Teaching the basics of God's word. For most of you, it's not about learning something new. It's about being reminded of something that hasn't happened yet in your life. At the end of the halftime break, the team almost always gathers together. And it reminds me that when we gather together, there has to be a reminder of why you are there what our purpose is, and why you are there together with these other weird people. Why we are here and why we are here together, this needs to be a place of hope and inspiration to get back in the game. No coach ever goes, hey guys, you did so good, it's halftime, we're ahead. Take the rest of the day off. No coach, well, very few coaches ever say, we're so far behind you, might as well go home. He says, this is what we must do to go back out into the game. Which of those do you need this season? Do you feel like you need a place to catch your breath? Are you hurt right now in a way that needs to be healed? Do you need to either encourage somebody else with the story that God is using in your life or hear theirs? Do you need to come here to have God speak out of his word to you about ways that you can live with hope in grace? That's the language of the locker room faith. The church is locker room. The Apostle Paul says there needs to be a clear focus on the word of God. If you teach it plainly, people will respond because they see themselves. The Apostle Paul says when you gather Love one another around the Lord's table instead of showing who's really spiritual, and people will feel loved. And the Apostle Paul says, You should go out from worship changed to bless other people. If an unbeliever comes in while people are speaking God's word, they will be convicted and the secrets of their heart laid bare, and they will fall down next to you and worship saying, God is really here. That's what I crave for all of us. We're going to end a little bit differently. The band's going to come yeah. up. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to do something a little bit differently. But for now, let's close this with a prayer that the church learned 500 years ago wasn't just Corinth that messed up. It's not just Edina that messes up. The church, everywhere it goes, needs to learn what it's like to be the church before it just comes to church. This was called the Heidelberg Confession. And it started 551 years old with the leader and the people responding. I'll lead, you respond. It starts this way. I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community. Together. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. They confused coming to church with being the church. And God reminds us all.